Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. In this episode, we will be discussing the interactive design process for the Newark Walks app. The conversation goes into specific details on curating the user's journey through Newark, how designers and developers work together, who creates the actual content, and the production timeline from initial client meeting to product launch. We also discuss why the Newark Walks app was an Android and or iOS app instead of a web-based app. Today's guest is VJ Matthews, who co-founded W and Co in 2011. Noticing a trend towards mobile applications, VJ jumped on board and learned quickly the value of a digital presence. For over five years, VJ Matthews has designed and developed dozens of applications and has consulted with a wide variety of clients regarding digital strategy, design, and implementation, including the AIGA, the City of Newark, Harvard University, The Four Seasons, Samsung, and Wolf Olins. His work has been published in Design on Screen, which is expected to be due out in October of 2016, so that's already happened, so you should be checking for that, which is going to be published by Sandu. The fourth edition of Design Branding um, Identity by Alina Wheeler, uh, Numbers in Graphic Design by Roger Fawcett-Tang, the fifth edition of Graphic Design Solutions by Robin Landa, and the second edition of Signage and Wayfinding Design by Chris Calori and David Vanden Eden. I think I said that wrong. Anyway, additionally, VJ has spoken at the National Conference at SEGD, the Fashion Institute of Technology, the International Sign Association Conference, the Digital Signage Expo, and for the Print Magazine Design Series. Prior to founding WNCO, VJ worked as a senior designer at 212, an environmental graphic design firm in New York. Before that, he was an associate designer at WGBH, PBS's largest producer of web and television content, where he created a variety of print materials for television programs. He also worked as a print designer for Hatch Show Print, a respected letterpress print shop of music and event posters in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, VJ. Hey, pleasure to be here, Gary. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're giving me your time once again to continuing the discussion always a pleasure yeah so the, the last time you were on we discussed the process from beginning to end for creating a website for the AIGA National Design Conference this time I want to talk to you about the design and development of apps because that's something you also do and in this case I want to specifically talk about the Newark app um, Newark walks app that you recently created mm-hmm so, just to start off, what's discussed during the initial client meeting mm-hmm. when you are starting app design and development? Sure, sure. And, 
you know, maybe just to give uh, the the audience a little context and yes. a little background on the project, um, because it kind of informs a lot of the decisions in the process of this particular project. Um, so this year actually is the city of Newark's uh, located in New Jersey, their 350th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so in preparation for this milestone, uh, about a year ago, the city received a grant uh, from Prudential, which is one of their largest tenants in the city, uh, to create a walking tour to co- showcase uh, the city's rich history. Mm. Um, initially, it was going to be basically just an interpretive based on the street signage program. Uh, so, you know, physical wayfinding, placards, uh, interpretive panels uh, uh, in that regard. Um, but during those initial conversations with Merge Design, who was the wayfinding design team tasked to create the on-street signage program, uh, the idea of an interactive component popped up. Um, I think almost universally everyone was like, yeah, that's a great idea because of what it could potentially represent for the city as well as what could provide their potential audience uh, in terms of additional content. So when that when that idea kind of came into fruition, that's when we popped up um, because we did that kind of work um, uh, for for various entities. Um, so when we first had that conversation or that first client meeting, actually, there wasn't so much of a defined scope. Uh, those initial meetings were designed as kind of key stakeholder engagement sessions. Uh, during those meetings, we had representatives from all across the city, uh, the mayor's office, the historical society, Rutgers University, the tourism bureau, uh, Prudential, of course, the library, uh, various improvement, business improvement districts, and basically any other major commercial entity. Um, the reason why was because a lot of these organizations would somehow be potentially impacted by this program, and it was good to have a conversation, just a, basically just a general overarching conversation about expectations. And so... Those actually, those early meetings were really more about addressing a general approach. You know, what should be included on the tour in terms of various destinations, but also became a brainstorming session about what the digital application should be able to do. In these sessions, we were more like almost like facilitators. You know, Mm -hmm. we were writing up ideas, expanding on those ideas, like asking questions, really trying to engage the our our audience in that in that in those meetings to really flesh out some some concepts. Um, with the hopes that you know there would be some predominant theme starting to emerge from these conversations. So at that point, there were like no bad ideas. We were trying to gauge the general temperament of these sca- uh, stakeholders and also just uh, build a general excitement. So how much does this differ from the process, like those initial conversations with the clients when you're doing a website? Yeah, I mean – Depends. Well, so in this mm-hmm. case, um, because Newark didn't really have an idea of – well, they had an idea. They wanted a, an app, of course. They wanted yeah. a, a walking tour, of course. But that's all they really had. You know, that's those, that was the underlying foundation which, you know, we were brought in. So in that regard, it was a little bit more open-ended, you know, th- this app discussion. You know, it was more about working collaboratively with this this team to kind of craft a vision for, for this application. Uh, typically with websites, and this is more about what you know our experience is. It's a little bit more uh, defined. Um, oftentimes there is uh, a real purpose for uh, a, a website in in terms of getting something to launch. You know, there's either an event happening, or there is a promotion, or a product release. And you know, up until that point, you know, many teams have been working to kind of craft. Uh, a vision for that website, you know, be it the content strategy or be it the the rationale for it or just the general uh, purpose for it. Uh, in that regard, you know, it's a little bit more defined in terms of, okay, we need X, Y, and Z. How do we deliver that and how do we build that? Um, so it's almost like a, a, a 
it's almost like uh, the website is a little bit further down the road mm-hmm. in those conversations typically than in, these, in this case, the, the app. Okay. So why did Newark Walks want a native iOS and Android app instead of a web-based app? I mean, are there differences yeah. and benefits yeah, yeah. to each? Actually, that's a, that's a really great question because um, it was actually something that was also discussed during the stakeholder session because people also asked that very same question. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really no doubt that uh, the experiences developed on native apps and web apps can be sometimes blurred. And you're seeing very sophisticated versions of those and almost getting a little bit blurred in terms of, oh, which one's actually native and which one's not. Um, however, when we really started to define the purpose uh, and the, the fundamental requirements of the application, uh, the native approach started winning out. You know, we we wanted to tap into the GPS. We wanted to track walking times and distances traveled. We wanted to determine how far things were from your current position. We also wanted it to be stored offline. We wanted it to be fast. Um, web apps can certainly achieve some of those requirements, uh, but not all, and not currently to the accuracy of a native application. Mm. And you know, native apps can also tap into the the hardware of the device, be it the GPU and the CPU. Um, and there was actually another reason, which this may sound a little bit strange, but you know, a native app is almost a little bit more tangible than a web app. Uh, it sounds kind of weird because there's no physicality to it, but you know, there was a feeling that having a dedicated app that lived within a marketplace that could be easily searched and downloaded would provide a greater connection to the audience. You know, with a web app, you typically have to go, you know, to the website on your phone and then click a prompt that says download to the phone, which then, you know, appears on your home screen. It does have a similar effect, but that experience and almost that permanence doesn't quite resonate. No, and it, I mean, and I've never thought about this before until I just heard you talk, but it's also the fact that, you know, if I do travel myself, I may actually, you know, type the city name yep. in the app store. It almost becomes another marketing point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a, almost a built-in, yeah, it's really a built-in marketplace. <laughs> yeah, that I never thought of it that way. Um, just one quick question about the, can, I can't even remember now, can the um, web apps take advantage of the camera yet? You know, I think they can now. Okay. Yeah, we, we haven't taken advantage of that personally in our in our work, only because uh, we focus more now on native applications just because of that performance. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, it, Oh, you know, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, you really talk, talk you know, the acceleration of the hardware, you know, you take advantage of all the sensors as well. You can really, really uh, create a more curated experience that seems a little bit more meaningful by using uh, native applications. No, that makes sense because I didn't, because both of them can access a GPS, but a native app would be able to access the GPS faster because it's going right to the hardware and exactly. no software interpretation of it. Exactly. Yeah. If you okay. ever use like Google Maps on your on your because Google Maps has like a web app version. Mm-hmm. If you ever use it, it's always a little bit more generalized approximation, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know using the native application. It's almost like pretty much spot on. Okay. Oh, thanks. So, what kind of research goes into making a native application yeah. um, before design and development actually begins? Yeah, the, yeah. And yeah. is the designer involved in this part? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that actually this is something that's really sometimes overlooked in design schools, and and that is the need to basically research and understand your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we had already engaged with the stakeholders and gotten some great insight into the, some of the challenges and some wishlist items and some general ideas. Um, we had parsed all that feedback and basically created a preliminary list of attributes for the app. Um, so after that, you know, we were heavily involved with this process. Um, 
fortunately, because it gave us a better understanding of how to design something for, you know, this, this community, you know, so after, you know, after like building that preliminary list, uh, we started to find the types of users we want the, this app to cater to. Um, this was, again, partly fueled from the engagement sessions uh, where we started to understand some of the potential constituents. Um, but, you know, some of the other types started included were employees, parents, like students, prospective students. Um, in some situations, after that engagement session and after defining some of those user types, we actually conducted brief interviews uh, to gain a better understanding, like, what would they want? What would they be looking for? Um, because if we're trying to create an application for a particular audience, we really want to understand, you know, who they were as, as potential uh, consumers. Um, so those user types of interviews helped us start to map out these user journeys. Um, and user journeys are used to kind of establish various scenarios of what a user could be doing, where they could be coming from, what they'd be looking for, or what they need along the way. Um, this exercise starts a greater. Uh, this exercise starts defining in greater detail uh, what the application needs to be and be able to do. Um, it starts creating almost a roadmap of what you know you your application should be able to handle uh, down the road, not just today, but also potentially tomorrow. All right. So you, you've already started to answer this with um, your previous answer, but I want to follow up with a question: When visiting a website. There's actually research, and uh, and this is general observation. The user doesn't have as deep or a defined or guided experience as yeah. they do in an app. So once you get past that initial client meeting, and you you know you've got a good idea of the final deliverable, you've done this initial user research. How do you map out the deliverable or the mm. milestones, and who? And who's involved in that during that process? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so every every project is different. Um, the more product-based apps use an iterative, agile approach, you know, constant learn, design, test cycle. Um, in the case of Newark, because there was a more or less defined goal established during the consensus building phase, it was easier to map out what needed to get done to achieve that goal. And so uh, there were basically three primary parties involved. There was Merge Design, who was establishing the overall wayfinding strategy and establishing the visual aesthetic for the whole program. There was our team, who was responsible for building out the app and the backend system. And then there was a the client team, who was responsible for basically finalizing all the content, finalizing the actual route, and finalizing the locations, and getting all the assets together. Uh, and that was driven by a content strategy developed by Merge Design ourselves um, for, for the appropriate applications. Um, and I just want to say, like, the Greater Newark Convention Visitor Bureau did an amazing job of, you know, wrangling all their stakeholders and building that consensus. Um, so, you know, we knew, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, it was the 350th anniversary of the city, and there was a very particular launch date uh, for this application. So we kind of built the milestones backward from that launch date. Um, and thankfully, their process started long enough time uh, or started long enough ago where there was enough time to budget in all these efforts. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, communication and transparency is obviously very uh, needed for this process to make sure that everyone was in line and delivering what they need to deliver on time. So in terms of design and development for the app process, it followed a part, you know, fairly typical process as a website. You know, after we had basically uh, built that consensus around who our audience was, what those scenarios were, what that preliminary list of functionality was, we kind of created a sitemap based on all those features and functions. Um, you know, after that, we created a wireframe that mapped out how everything would live, and then we added an interface uh, to, you know, how would it aesthetically fit within the overall program, and then we built it out. 
um, at each after each stage, you know, after like the planning session, after the, the the preliminary design session and final design session, we would, you know, circle back with the client and and the and merge to basically ensure what was being designed was on point and complemented the overall program. So it was a fairly kind of regimented process. Um, you know, thankfully because the goal was so defined. You know, um, this is one thing I kind of having trouble wrapping my head around that process and maybe it was very specific for this one but you can you know you cite another um, app design is you're creating a you're creating it's like a choose your own adventure kind of book where you you have to give the app has to give people the freedom to explore and do things but you have to control and curate that that's that's exactly right yeah so how do you how do you do that <laughs> um you know, so I think that kind of lends itself back to like, what is the purpose of this application? Okay. Um, you know, I think there are the, a lot of those apps out there, or you know, more so back in the day, where it would be almost everything uh, for everyone. Uh, it would do so many different functionalities and wouldn't do any of them really well. Um, and then you'd probably toss it aside because it was either too overwhelming or just didn't do them to the degree that you wanted them to do. And so I think one of the real keys is to understanding when developing an app or and designing an app is that you know, what is the purpose of this? What is the core functionality that you want the user to be able to do? Um, and how how well in you know and making sure that how well they do it uh, can be kind of quantified in terms of just the general functionality. Um, it I think it's important that you know you you use that as a basis, but then you kind of layer it with additional things of like oh it would be nice if it can complement that core functionality. Um, in the case of Newark, you know, the core function was this walking tour. But this added functionality that we, we included was this event listing. You know, as, mm -hmm. as rudimentary as that sounds, it really complemented the overall wayfinding plan because one, it provided a greater context of what else you could do in Newark on this tour. You can find out, oh, you know, there is this this concert that's going on at NJ Pack, or there's a a devil's game going on down the street and you'd be like oh it's actually located only maybe 100 meters from where i am now and be like oh maybe i'll venture off and go explore that and maybe to check out a show so in many ways you know you provided those kind of choose your own adventures but through a very curated constructed lens of what that experience should be um you never want them to go deviate too far off and almost enter a rabbit's hole because then they start losing the whole benefit of the application uh, so everything is kind of done like, you know, you use almost like this user empathy, right? You know, like yeah. if I were a person, you know, experiencing this application in Newark, what would I want to be able to do and what would make most sense? Uh, you really want to think like, is it a natural extension for me to be able to do this uh, within the context of this app? And that's how you kind of want to frame it. Okay. So, and I'm going to frame this with um, print design. So in print design, my next question, I mean, um, when <laughs> in print design, you print something, it's done. Yeah. When with web, there's, because it's such an easy thing to update, you can almost launch iteratively, you know, and add features as you go and, and test them out. So is there a general, general strategy for launching an app? So, for example, is there a plan for an initial launch with limited features and then have features added over time? Or yeah, yeah, and you know, just to just to clarify, you yeah. know, you know, the, the app process in many ways, or at least let's say like this very defined app process defines uh, is parallels a lot of the typical design process. You know, you have discovery, design, develop, and deploy. 
Um, what's different, and definitely you kind of alluded to it a second ago, is that there is that iterative step where you know you evolve the app in terms of design and features. Um, this iterative step is pretty common and fueled basically from user expectations and their increased savviness with applications, but also because you know there are evolutions in hardware and software which provide new opportunities to build more sophisticated experiences. So you know during those initial meetings, you know we try to make that very clear that with any project involving digital technology, there needs to be a plan in place to allow for different improvements. And depending on the client, it's good to establish those appropriate expectations for such improvements. Um, you know, in the case of Newark, we're like, hey, you know, we understand that you are a government kind of entity. Uh, what's what's a realistic kind of of plan? And maybe it's like once a year we kind of look back, aggregate all that user feedback, see what people are saying, and see what we can do to kind of either fix things, improve things, or just add to this. Uh, this application, um, but to the launch strategy, yeah, uh, to the degree the 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 functionality can be pared down. In the case of Newark, you know, tons of ideas were presented, uh, but we knew there was a fixed launch date and there were a lot of moving pieces. So when we were defining the functional scope, we viewed it in the lens that, you know, what are the bare essential elements we need to include for this app to launch and launch successfully. So in the, there's a term for that. It's called a MVP, a minimum viable product. Yeah. Basically, what you need to build out to you know, launch and make it kind of resonate with your audience and make it you know usable. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, to to summarize, it's really important to re recognize the fact that you know this is a living, breathing organism, if you will. You know, and it lends itself an opportunity to allow for those uh, iterative improvements, and you should be able, to be able to take advantage of that because um, you know I think your audience expects it. Your audience kind of expects this thing to kind of evolve as you know they mature uh, in terms of understand the content. So they want new functionality because they've kind of completely adopted uh, what there is already. So, you know, in the context of this app, you know, it is a walking tour, right? Mm -hmm. So there's only so many times you can take this tour, right? Yeah. <laughs> Before yeah. you become very familiar with it. So if you still want to connect with your audience, what else can you provide them that gain, gives them a better understanding of the city? And, you know, that's something that we're constantly uh, challenged with. Like, okay, what what else can we do to improve this, this application? Okay. Um, and one follow up to that and in the in web you can simply just upload the files to the web server mm -hmm. and it's it's simple like that and you can actually do ab testing on the web because yep. you you have control over that you can't quickly launch something <laughs> in in an app store because you have to get approval and yeah. so that so how much does that hinder, you know, this iterative process? And also like the A-B testing, like saying, okay, does this button work better or does that button work better? Is that even possible when you're using something, a native app? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even before, uh, you know, there's, there's of course, like uh, the whole testing process. Mm -hmm. um, um, and we actually do a lot of lo-fi testing at first um, where we actually just create these visual mocks of what we think uh, the general aesthetic should be, the general interface should be. Um, and we just kind of do a side-by-side -side comparison, at least uh, at first, um, saying, hey, you know, what, what feels more appropriate, what looks better, what kind of resonates with you more, or what, you know, and trying to understand from a user perspective, like uh, the whys, you know, why does that one work better than the other one, even before we start getting to program, Because once you start getting to program, it gets a little bit more complex because, you know, you're kind of wiring it into this application. You know, doing quick mocks is light years faster than and than programming. Um, but you know, once we get to the degree, it's more about okay, now does it does it function the way it's supposed to function? And in that regard, then we start creating these more like interactive prototypes. And there's 
bunch of software out there that allows for these quick prototypes, these interactive prototypes that you can build out very quickly based on that kind of that uh, visual visual study that you've you conducted. Um, and so that kind of generalizes a, a kind of a visual vernacular for how to move forward. You know, once you start establishing those rules, because you don't necessarily want to constantly reinvent it with every new feature and function because you've established a baseline of, okay, what people kind of expect from the application, um, at least for a little while, because, you know, eventually they'll probably want to redesign it as, you know, new paradigms and design come out. But in that iterative sense, um, you know, once you establish some of those core functions in terms of animations and in terms of general aesthetics, then you can start thinking about the functions and how to improve upon it. Um, but in the case of Newark, initially, when we before we launched, you know, we had a fairly large beta test. Uh, um, you know, about four weeks prior to launch, we kind of opened up to a small subsect of about 50 people um, who were, you know, various students, uh, prudential employees, government employees. And we basically said, hey, you know, you know, here's the application. We did a private beta. But in the case of, of Newark and most prototyping, we don't are sorry, beta testing. Mm -hmm. We don't let's make it make it completely free form. Um, we actually kind of created this very specified testing document that we provided them. And in that document, kind of, we listed out a series of questions around each feature to test. Um, you know, by providing that document, we provided a, a frame of reference to base their testing around. And it made the beta testing a little bit more digestible when you know what you're looking for and what you need to be able to do. I, but, I appreciate that because I actually did a, a beta test on an app and I was given no instructions. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't like... I mean, I played around with it, but I didn't feel like my I was helpful. Yeah, because I, mean, I have to randomly stumble across, you know, something, and who knows if you're going to. Yeah, exactly. And you know, they're they're kind of looking at this in almost a black box. They've never seen this before, um, and so if you can kind of set expectations, uh, you know, your end results or your feedback that you get become far more reliable because you kind of give them that context. Um, but it was also, again, like the assessment wasn't just about making sure how things work too, though. It was also about how, how they experienced the app, you know? And so there were a lot of qualitative questions about the design and flow, you know, was it intuitive? Did it feel appropriate? Um, you know, did you just enjoy it overall? And, you know, you know, even though we had a good idea about the overall app, you know, just in general from our own internal testing and experience and design, um, it was good to get outside feedback as well, just to get that layer of extra layer of input. Um, you know what, I want to follow, you uh, mentioned something about animations, so mm. I want to follow it up with, so how do sound and animations play a role in the design of apps? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think more so than ever before, they play a pivotal role because they're almost bridging the gap between the physical and the digital um, in a digital sense. It's strange again. Um, so, you, I mean, you got to look at the nature of the device, you know, smartphones in particular. You know, you, you almost forge a very intimate relationship between you and the application you're interacting with because you're using the hand to navigate the device. You know, you're touching things on the screen, which causes reactions. And sound and animations deepen that relationship uh, to create almost a greater sensory experience. Um, and it's almost used to kind of compensate for that typical tactile response you would get from actually touching something. So you're kind of compensating for that, that physicality through sound and animation. I think the trick, though, is to balance how much of it is used and when it's used. Um, I'm sure you've experienced a bunch of apps where the animation sounds were rather excessive and it actually started detracting from the actual function of the app. So you don't want to do that. You want it to simply complement um, a reaction. 
you know, because you, you want to make sure that something does happen when you do touch something to make sure it creates that connection that, okay, I have actually done this action. Now, what is my response to that action? And sound and animations help with that. So can you actually rely on sound, though? Because personally, I have the sound turned off on my phone all the way. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. Um, that's why I say sound and animation yeah. uh, to kind of compensate for that potential. You know, you're always dealing with all these scenarios where someone has some other setting turned off or other settings turned on. So you kind of always like, like double back up, right? You always have like two layers of potential reactions or uh, to kind of compensate for that. So I say, you know, sand and animation kind of go hand in hand yeah. uh, because you can't rely on one or the other. I'm just curious um, with the motion, for example, I've got an, an iPad 2 that mm -hmm. is completely useless <laughs> now because of the, you know, updating the iOS. Yeah. And I've tried to like churn things off, like mm -hmm. animations and such. Can you turn them off? Can you turn them off from within the app or is it that's just the operating system? It's, yeah, you know, that, it's yeah the operating system allows you to turn off their core animations, but okay. within the application, you know, no, you can't just turn it off. I mean, I okay. guess you probably you could probably try to program it to do that, but yeah, I think it'd be a very laborious task. Yeah, no, I just didn't, I didn't, I was just curious how far, you know, like Apple lets you lock down the animations. Yeah. But it's limited to just the operating system. Yeah, okay. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, one thing that I'm completely fascinated about is this, this idea of like developer and designer working mm -hmm. together. And the reason I'm fascinated by it is I don't get to do that in the classroom Yeah, because I just don't have the developers. Um, even if we have developers on campus trying to get, you know, a teacher to collaborate, which isn't that hard, but trying to get them to have the same schedule, you know, the right class that does sync up with your class is, yeah. is really hard. So can you talk to us a little bit about how designers and developers work together on, you know, let's say like a feature, because the developers, they know the hardware. Yep. Designers don't. Yeah. So designers don't know how to take advantage of those things. Yeah. Well, I think to, to that point, um, and I'll get to the question in a second, I think it's important for designers to really immerse themselves with the platform in which they're working in. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're designing an app, you have to become very familiar with your the device itself and and understanding like what it's capable of doing because it'll provide you just a, a greater awareness of the potential of what you can create um, and more importantly I think it's important just to kind of just download a bunch of interesting apps to see what people are doing um, because it provides you a greater familiarity with the general landscape of what's possible um, so that idea of just constantly just looking and experiencing and downloading and reacting is very very important to to any process. Um, now, to your pre previous question about you know design and developers working together, I think um, you know part of determining a feature, you know, even from the get-go, is determining the functions of that feature. Um, so, in the case of Newark, let's say, yeah, there is a map, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, what can that map do? So, even before the design phase, uh, you know, starts occurring, it's about working with the developer to define that functional scope. So, you know, in the example of the map, it's it's saying about, you know, something like, okay, the user needs to be able to zoom in and out. The map needs to be able to support programmable bounding areas. A user needs to be able to determine current location within map bounds. I mean, a user needs to be able to click on markers. You know, it's a, it's a large laundry list, list of things to do. Um, but one thing about it is it makes it very clear about what the app will be able to do and what it won't be able to do. And that's really good one for the client to know and to kind of help keep track, uh, keep the project on track so you avoid that scope creep. Um, 
But secondly, it informs the developer of what it needs to be able to support. So from a programming perspective, the developer can start prototyping some basic interactions. Um, but of course, you know, what it really starts informing is the designer of what they need to account for when developing the user flows, you know, and the, and the wireframes and the actual designs. You know, that laundry list actually provides a basic outline of what elements need to be mapped out and then designed for that feature. So in that regard, that collaboration is really more about making it very transparent about those expectations, like what can this thing do and what do you have to provide to be able to allow for that? Um, I heard this phrase just this past weekend at a design education conference and uh, somebody made the comment that, well, me personally, I always thought of HTML and CSS as a medium. Hmm. So and then I started thinking about it, but more it's like, well, is, and if the, if the designer knows HTML and CSS as a medium, they can really manipulate it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to apps, knowing Swift and knowing um, whatever the language is for Android, I can't think of, is it, I think it's, it's called uh, Android. Uh, it's, like, it's like C plus or something like that, I okay. forgot. <laughs> so, but knowing that medium isn't really as helpful for a designer. So then I heard this term, hardware as a medium. Mm -hmm. And so, and you just kind of said that, you know, like, it, you need to know the devices. Yeah. So do you have some like simple things that, you know, design educators could like tell students to do to like get to better know a medium? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hardware? So, you know, for me personally, you know, uh, one thing that I constantly do um, is just go on the app store and just download some interesting new apps. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a bunch of blogs out there that too also curate really cool looking apps uh, out there and, or, you know, interesting functionally apps. Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is just research. Um, really just exposing yourself to what other people are doing and, and just getting a familiarity of, you know, how those those design boundaries are being pushed uh, through this through this format. Um, yeah, I think it's also it's important just to, to understand um, just the hardware, the technology, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, just to read up on what the phone can do. <laughs> um, because uh, there's a lot of this hidden functionality that you just don't understand, expect to have this uh, device support. So it's almost just almost creating that 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 book of, okay, it can do X, Y, and Z. And like, okay, what are applications that take advantage of X, Y, and Z, and how do they do it? Just spark this idea, this conversation. I mean, there's no real great answer because, you know, it's just about developing a familiarity. Um, and how people parse that is, is very different. Um, and some people just like look at blogs and see what people are doing, read articles. Some others just look at, you know, download apps and play around with them. Um, for me, downloading and playing around with them is a little bit better because you're interacting with it. You're actually personally looking and seeing how things function. It's almost creating this this interesting kind of backlog of, okay, it, of oh, I've seen that before. That's interesting. I'll keep a little record of that, a little note to myself and say, hey, that's a really good reference for something that potentially could affect some other design decision down the road. Or, or more like, oh yeah, apps can do that now. That's pretty cool. And, and it's just, be you know, making sure you're informed of what's happening in the latest trends of of design and development. Yeah, I think that's just something important going forward. Now that I, you know, listening to you talk about it, is just studying whenever before you even before there's even a design phase, or you know, just study the features of what you're going to be designing for. <laughs> Meaning, like, can a browser take advantage of the camera? Exactly. I mean, I didn't know. So, I mean, you should be able to find those kind of things out because that lets you create 
better experiences. Yeah, and you know, to be fair, like you know, sometimes I don't even know those answers as well. So I will literally just go on Google and just Google that very same question. It's like, can it be done? And you'll get some interesting responses. Then you'll see some examples. Like, okay, now does it achieve the same level of performance I wanted to do? And that's yeah. when the conversation starts happening. Like, okay, it does or doesn't. And maybe I should, you know, it starts informing some of your larger decisions about, oh, am I going with a web app? Am I going with a native app? Am I going with something else all entirely? Um, so it's nice to have that basis because then every decision you make moving forward is grounded in a reason. It's grounded in a very rational reason as to why. Okay. So I have one final question, and I, I could probably ask it in one of two ways. And it has to do with, like, what could educators be doing in the classroom to better prepare students for creating apps? Or I could ask you to say, what would you like to see in a student's portfolio that's going to give you, and this is a visual designer that I'm, I'm speaking to, you know, what is going to be better indicator for you that they're prepared to work in this kind of environment? You know, what's interesting, actually, uh, because this is something now that we're really looking for. Um, I kind of, now personally, I, I wanted, to, I think it's more about doing like almost non-design assignments. Mm -hmm. Um I think designing is easy when you're your own client, right? Uh, I think yes. a lot of you know, school projects are about just you and you're the only person you either kind of please. Um, but as soon as you start making projects for others and there's a general uh, public that will potentially use this uh, project that's being developed, it gets a little more complicated and evolved. And I think in those cases, it's good to establish like exercises that allow you to understand who that potential audience is and to craft an experience mm -hmm. that will benefit and resonate. Um, so I think that includes like just doing general interviews, surveys, doing general research about the marketplace and testing those theories. Um, not only those, you know, exercise provide a greater context and meaning to the design process, it'll undoubtedly result in a better solution. Now, you know, for me, it's like now seeing that research in a portfolio, seeing that, you know, decisions yeah. that were made in the design process was grounded in this research. And I think that's something that's really overlooked is just spending the time to understand who this is going to be benefiting and the why, you know, what informed those decisions. And I think that would create, you know, create a greater like basis, a greater foundation to the projects that are being shown. All right, so then, then I'm going to ask, you hit the nail right on the head, and it's how to display this in your portfolio. So I did actually teach um, an app development class, and I didn't assign them to create an app. What I did was I assigned them research, and one of them was to go ride the bus. I, I kind of made them like, like they had to be the user, so they had to like take the bus to different locations to get groceries to do shopping and so then i had another group of students that went and actually like okay now go do some shopping you know on your limited income then i had another group okay oh i mean do your clothes shopping like you had to go for an interview yeah. and then i had a third group it's like okay this is your budget what kind of groceries can you get you know living in this area and you can mm -hmm. only use public transportation and so they did all that first. Mm -hmm. and so That's they, awesome. And so then they came back and I said, oh, let's look at this stuff. What did you, you know, where, you know, like do the affinity mapping. Where is your, um, where are your pain points? Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, once we've identified the pain points, then solve, solve for X with app. <laughs> and the students, and so they created the apps and, and there was like a user journey through them. So they... I felt like they had actually, they made actual sense, but damn, if I could figure out a way to show that whole process in their portfolio. Yeah. All they did was just show their 
app screenshots. I'm like, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much more that you did. It's valuable. But I mean, how would you show that to an employer? I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes about you know taking all that raw data and and kind of synthesizing it into these tangible bytes of information just for either presentation purposes. Yeah. And this is part of the process with any kind of client presentations. Like, okay, yeah, you have all this raw data, but how are you going to show it to your general audience who has to kind of understand this data? And that's, I think, the role of design also is to be able to kind of interpret it and provide it in a very digestible medium. And you know, in the case of uh, some of those examples that you just uh, alluded to, sometimes about creating almost a storyboard, an animated narrative of mm -hmm. the experience ah. along the way, like a, a like a visual journey map. Okay. Uh, because once you start understanding, like, okay, what were those decision points, and then you can start carrying like little little mind bubbles, like, oh, I have to do X, Y, and Z. You make it a little bit more kind of animated and a little bit more fun because you're kind of almost telling this very complex story in a very simple manner um, through this, like almost this comic storyboard uh, medium. Um, but it's also about, you know, using those, uh, uh, using those mind maps, if you will, and kind of just synthesizing it into these, uh, these very kind of tangible flow charts, if you will, of, okay, of where I'm going, where I'm, where I'm, what I'm doing, uh, and just making it very kind of systematic, if you will. And it kind of just shows a logic to, all that raw data and showing, okay, there is a reason for why that app looks that way um, because of this reference in this flowchart or a reference in this user journey that we kind of experienced together. Um, and you kind of just want to show that because it makes it a little bit more meaningful. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's great. And, and my low-hanging fruit one that I felt that I tried and I didn't like it was I had to make an e-book, e-process book of all of the data i said they could either approach it as like a personal journal mm -hmm. of the experience that they had or they could approach it as this is this ebook is the pitch to the yeah. client that mm -hmm. this is why they need this app or you know this this is a pitch to a venture capitalist on why they need the app yeah but it just i know it just didn't turn out the way i envisioned it yeah i always look at it like um you know how would i explain this project to my mom right yeah. and it's like if she understands the frustrations of the reason, then you know it's a, it's a win um, because she's potentially the perfect audience for any app that you know goes into the general marketplace. So, if the research makes sense to her, then it'll make sense to everyone. All right. Well, so VJ, before I let you go, you know I've already asked this question. You were on not too long ago, but is there anything else that you're working on that you personally want to you share, or is there anything else you want to talk about or promote or yeah, any final actually, advice? Um, in terms of like promotion, like one thing that we're interested in working on right now is like, so I, you know, we, we do a lot of these wayfinding applications mm -hmm. and we're in the process right now kind of taking that idea and making it a little more of a turnkey platform. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, one thing with this whole design process, is yes, you're always trying to understand what are the most appropriate functions and features for that particular client or that particular project. But, you know, through our, you know, several years of operation, we realized there is this baseline foundation of what you know, of things that kind of almost everyone wants. Um, so what if we made that a turnkey platform for anyone to be able to use and download and, and create their own very hyper-local wayfinding application? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something we're working on right now and ideally be available in early 2017 um, for, you know, people in small cities, parks, universities, or just local neighborhoods to download and start creating their own native applications. And so are, wow, I'm actually going to, I'm, I can't wait to hear about that because I'm 
I can't wrap my head around how I'm going to, I mean, I can, I see the potential and I can like, oh, I could use it for this, for this, for this, like little, you know, like local conferences would be mm -hmm. great to do, you know, like these are the things you go do, but I wouldn't know how I would work in the app. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be there. Well, I mean, part of it's like the app is really more about the, uh, the, the end product, the user facing yeah. product. I think for the person who's kind of like kind of curating this, it's going to be more about the, the admin interface, the CMS yeah. that allows you to manage all this content and empower it. Uh, and that's the, the, the next big challenge for us is we've kind of built the, the foundation for it. And now it's about how to make it very user friendly. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, yeah. I, a CMS for apps. I, yeah, that's I, yeah, exactly it. I, Wow, awesome. Well, that's all we have time for today on episode 37 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Vijay Matthews, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators Community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with the new show releases, you can follow us on Twitter at DesignEDU Today, like the Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Finally, if you'd like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through Twitter or the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening for Design EDU Today. 